Well, this is awesome. I'd like to uh, formally thank the planning committee for putting me up last in a three-day conference. <laughs> that is roughly the equivalent of team teaching a class with someone and they say, you know what, you get the last two minutes. That's when they're most attentive, right? <laughs> Probably no one wants to be here. Probably you guys aren't gonna listen. Probably you're all just kind of glazed over, daydreaming, waiting for me to be done talking. What's the point? Okay, obviously I'm kidding. As I look at scripture, that is not the attitude that God wants in his leaders. You take the Apostle Paul, for example. Paul was arrested for preaching the gospel, and, um, and he had to go to trial, and he kind of bounced from one court to another until finally he appealed to Rome, and he was shipbound for Rome, appealed to Caesar, um, and on that ship, in October, in the Mediterranean, you see the thing with trying to sail in the Mediterranean in October, it's a little like trying to play golf in Wisconsin in January. Um, the weather rarely cooperates. And uh, the Northeaster hits, the ship is wrecked, the sailors despair. But Paul, Paul had a promise. Paul had an angel come to him and say, um, yeah, the ship is going to be destroyed, but... None of the people are going to die. And Paul ended his speech this way. He said, So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Paul had a promise. You see, no matter how dark this world gets, that promise changes everything. And that means that Lutheran leaders are going to know that and be optimistic. That's, that's what leadership is. Do we ever act in our roles as leaders like we don't have a promise? I mean, people are going to follow their leaders wherever they lead. Uh, and so, uh, you know, very rarely will, will the people rise above the level of where the leader is at. And so if the leader goes down the path of, well, good enough and mediocrity, the people will follow. Or if the leader says things like, you know what, we tried that, it didn't work. Or, um, you know... I might as well not try anything at this point because um, everybody has a church home in this town, which is one of the funniest things ever. Um, that's not true, right? Well, the people will follow. Uh, permit me to share a, a story from previous ministry experience. So um, at my previous congregation, we made use of this list called the New Movers List. Many of you maybe use it. Some people are would say that's just a total waste of time, but I would say even though it may be only as good as like a telemarketer call, like as far as the effectiveness rate, I think it is, it's good training and modeling for the congregation. But anyway, um, I was out welcoming people to the neighborhood. I knocked on a door and it was answered by this, this Hmong woman and she opened the door like maybe an inch and I, I introduced myself, welcomed her and, and she explained to me that she practiced shamanism. And I said, oh, well, have you ever wanted to learn about Christianity, and, and she kind of, she like opened the door another inch, and she like leaned in like this was secret, and she said, actually, I always wanted there to be like a class that would teach me about Christianity, but I wouldn't have to commit to being a Christian. I'm like, great, here's an invite, and I gave her the invite. Uh, she came to classes, Bible information classes. It was awesome to see the Holy Spirit work, faith in her heart, and towards the end of the class, she had missed one, and so we had to do a makeup and, um, and as I was talking with her towards the end of the class, I, I realized that she was conflicted and she said, Pastor, you know, I, I'm, I'm so appreciating learning about Jesus and I know he's my savior, uh, but I, I'm kind of having a pagan conscience because my, my father is a shaman, so she was a pastor's kid. Uh, my father is a shaman 
And part of the deal is it's kind of a, a, a religious family thing where the sacrifices that are brought, like that meal we share as a family, and I know that that, that meat is, is sacrificed idols, and I know that it's nothing, but should I feel guilty about eating it? Does the Bible have anything to say? And I almost fell out of my seat. I never thought I'd have such a, a specific application of 1 Corinthians 8, you know, food sacrificed idols. But, but here's the point. If, if we weren't optimistic as a congregation, um, we may never have tried something like a new movers list, even though, is it even going to work? Um, and we may never have seen her come to faith and be baptized. Why don't we have more Lutheran leaders? Is it, is it maybe because sometimes we operate almost as though we don't have a promise? Like we're kind of moping around like Eeyore. Well, no one volunteers. No one gives. No one comes when I invite them. Oh well, guess I'll go take a nap. I mean, think about this. Who wants to follow Eeyore? No one. No one wants to follow Eeyore. So why don't we have more leaders? Is it because maybe we've lost some of our passion, some of our motivation, some of our focus on the fact that we really do have a promise. Uh, many of you have heard the story about Katie Luther when Martin was moping around the house. She put on the, the funeral clothes and Martin said to her, what, are you going to a funeral? And she said something along the lines of, well, no, but you act as though God is dead, so I thought I'd join you in your mourning. Uh, well, we need that sometimes. I, I, I've got a friend in ministry who will let me call him and he'll let me vent. And, you know, I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders. I really don't, but I act that way. And he lets me finish. He's very patient. And then he'll ask, are you done? I say, yeah. He said, it's okay, Dave. Jesus still lives. And he's absolutely right. I, I need that sometimes. Um, friends, take off in ministry, in leadership, take off our funeral clothes because they, they really do look ridiculous in the victory procession we are right now marching in. Remember, the, the promise changes absolutely everything. The Apostle Paul said, if only for this life we have hope, we're to be pitied more than all people. In other words, he was saying, without a promise, pessimism is natural. With a promise, optimism is not optional, right? I love the quote of, of St. Augustine. He said, Lord, uh, give me what you ask of me, and then ask anything you want. And you look at how Jesus fulfills that, right? First of all, with our justification, but also with our mission. He says, go and make disciples. And what does he do? He gives us the word and sacraments to carry it out. He gives us the Holy Spirit working through those means. He gives us a promise that his word won't return to him empty. He gives us everything we need. And he doesn't send us out and say, go and make disciples. And oh, by the way, you're on your own. No, he follows that commission up with an incredible promise. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Lutheran leaders lead in a way that shows they believe that because they do. Very often congregations, the uh, people will, will start to model the characteristics of their, of their leaders. And there, is, there are a few greater things than seeing a congregation's members who share Jesus' mission and zeal because it's their leader's mission and zeal. Uh, C.F.W. Walter said, Der Christ ist ein Optimist. The, the Christian is an optimist. And if that's true of every Christian, then it's certainly true of Lutheran leaders. And it's true no matter what you may be going through in ministry. Because quite frankly, we don't lead for our own personal success. We don't, we don't lead so that others think better of us. 
I had a seminary professor once stop one of his lectures, and he said something that sticks in my mind, mostly because I didn't have the experience to understand what in the world he was talking about, but I get it now. He just stopped his lecture, and he said, boys, the first 10 years of your ministry is going to be for you. The next 10 years of your ministry is going to be for your people, and all the rest will be to the glory of God. My advice is get to all the rest as quickly as you can. It makes me think of a, a story. Um, there's this uh, play that was made into a movie called The Juggler of Notre Dame. Um, lo long story short, it, he's a juggler. He loses his wife. He goes into a bad spot, becomes a, a, a vagabond beggar, bouncing from one place to another. And he comes across this real small, little quaint town, and, and the people just show him unusual kindness. And of course, all the townspeople are going to, uh, at Christmas time, bring their gifts and lay them before the statue of Jesus in the town church. Actually, it's a statue of Mary, but for my illustration, I'm going to make it a statue of Jesus. Um, and and they, they bring all these gifts, and it's, it's just a wonderful outpouring. And the juggler wants to participate, but he has nothing to offer. And so late at night, when everybody, nobody's around, he goes in front of the statue with his with his juggling balls. And he says, Jesus, if all I can do is juggle, then I'll juggle for you. And he just sits there. He starts juggling in front of the statue. I think the beauty of that picture is, um, even if Jesus is the only one who sees what you do as a leader, who sees what you're going through, if he's the only one who sees what you sacrifice, it's okay. He was the only intended audience anyway. Because you remember, you have his promise. You have beautiful heaven waiting for you. And that changes things about how you lead. Think of it this way. Um, illustration I heard was that, that, that picture a timeline of 10,000 years. Okay? How long is your wife? Or your wife. How long is your life? Probably 80 years, probably about this much on the 10,000-year on the scale, right? Now imagine that this, my arms, represent 24 hours. What does this, 11, or what does this uh, 80 years become? It becomes 11 minutes. So now imagine you wake up one day, and um, the alarm's going off, the worst sound in the world, and you're trying to turn it off, and it won't turn off, kind of like Groundhog's Day. You know, you throw your phone against the wall, it breaks, but it's still going off. And you sit up in bed, and you hit your head on the headboard, you know, you were so comfortable, now you're in pain, and you, you, you put your feet on the floor. I live in a 100-year-old house in Minnesota. Your feet become instant icicles, right? And you're walking down, and you stub your toe on the foot of the bed. And then you go, and, and you want to try to get a cup of coffee, but the coffee maker's broken. You think, okay, fine, I'll grab one on the way to work. But um, you jump in the shower, and the water heater went out throughout the night, so you've got an ice-cold shower. How good is the first 11 minutes of your day? Not great. But now imagine that the whole rest of your day is incredible. You know, everyone's kind to you, you get promoted at work, you meet the love of your life and get engaged and married in the same day if that's even legal anywhere, you win the lottery three times without even playing it, and you name it, all good things, and I come to you at the end of that day and I say, so how was your day? What would you say? Would you go, oh, you would not believe the first 11 minutes? No, of course not. You, you wouldn't even think about that, right? Isn't that what we have waiting for us. This life, putting it in perspective, understanding that this life is just a speck. I could give a ridiculous amount of myself as a Lutheran leader, right? 
knowing, knowing that, and even this is not a great illustration because what did John Newton say in Amazing Grace? When we've been there 10,000 years, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. Knowing that beautiful heaven awaits, how can we not be optimistic as Lutheran leaders? Finally, I'll close with this. I, no matter what you are going through personally, in your own personal ministry, no matter what your congregation is going through in ministry, just always remember that the path to optimism is always the same. The path runs through a manger in Bethlehem and a carpenter's shop in Nazareth. From there, it winds through a wedding reception where everyone's amazed because they only had water, but now they have wine. From there, the path goes through a blind man who now sees and a widow in Nain who holds her alive again son and a Pharisee whose heart was changed when he found out just how much God so loved the world. From there, the path, you need to go up a hill and pause at a cross. But please don't stop there. Keep going down the hill through a now empty tomb. From there, the path will lead you to some gates that will open up and reveal streets paved with gold. And lining those streets are all your, your friends and loved ones who have gone before. But the best of all, right in front of you, can you see him? It's beautiful. It's Jesus. What's not to be optimistic about as Lutheran leaders? After all, we have a promise. Thank you.